research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. I'm joined, as always, by Eric Eggers, Vice President at the Government Accountability Institute and an author in his own right. So, Eric, we are actually talking uh, through a video screen because I'm up in Maryland on the book tour for my new book, and you are back at the mothership uh, holding down the fort. Uh, But it's great to see you, even if it is on the video screen. Well, that's kind of you to say, and yes, I am earning my vice presidential salary because you're gone and I'm over here just trying to make sure that everything's still operating smoothly here at the Government Accountability Institute where, you know, we relentlessly monitor and search for malfeasance, cronyism, corruption in in the federal government. And one of our main efforts institutionally and organizationally is, in fact, your new book, which is a week out now, right? It came out a week from today. We're talking on this Tuesday. And so um, I thought it might be kind of fun for us to talk more revelations about things in the book. Last week, got a lot of very positive feedback for the things we discussed as it relates to the way Silicon Valley is leveraged with their relationships with China and, and the very troubling partnerships they have with the Chinese government at the expense of U.S. national security interests. Um, but I thought it also might be fun to talk about kind of like how you feel your first week of exposing the things that are in your book has gone. And, you know, you've done a lot of different media interviews. And what have you been surprised by in terms of the reaction the book has gotten? Because it is, in fact, quite significant. Well, yeah, no, it's very interesting. I've done this a while. I've done a number of books. Uh, Never had a rollout uh, that took place during a pandemic. Uh, It's interesting. My last book, Profiles in Corruption, came out in January of 2020 before everybody realized what COVID was. So, you you know, you go up to New York, you go to Washington, D.C., you have a book party, you do a lot of face-to-face interviews. This has been entirely uh, virtual uh, by and large. And so that's been different. Uh, The reception has been amazing. You never quite know what to expect when you write a book because it depends what else is going on in the media cycle, uh, you know, the, the interest in the subject matter. This is a book we started working on about two years ago, um, but it's been this amazing amazing sort of convergence of a number of things. So the, re- the reception's been enormous. Uh, just in terms of book sales, we're on track to sell more of this book in a week than we sold in the entirety of Clinton Cash. Uh, we've been number one on Amazon and Barnes & Noble both for uh, most of the week, if not all of it. Uh, and what's been interesting, Eric, is the people that are the subject of the investigation in this book on Capitol Hill or the Biden White House, nobody's saying a thing. Nobody is responding in any way. Uh, I think the strategy is pretty clear, which is to let's just let this thing blow over in a couple of weeks uh, and it'll go away. Uh, And of course, we at GAI are going to work very hard to make sure it does not go away and is, is the subject of continuous scrutiny. I mean, there's so much to unpack in everything you just said, but for the, the casual listener who doesn't realize it, when you said that we're on track to sell more books this week than the entirety of Clinton Cash, people don't realize like Clinton Cash sold a lot of books. Uh, so well, that speaks to just how big 
this book is going to be. And I think what that what that means is just how startling the revelations are about how fully sold out and leveraged so many aspects of American society and American governance today are to the Chinese communist regime. And we'll, we'll get into some of those things specifically. The most impressive thing is you're about to sell a record-breaking number of books and you're still going to get on a commercial flight today, Peter Schweitzer. So <laughs> I know. And I got a seat in row 32, by the way, just to, just to be Amazing. clear. I'm going to be back where the toilets are. So I'm, I'm going to be where all the action is on this flight. <laughs> you have got to start respecting yourself in a better way. I don't even know what to tell you. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Maryland. That. I'm heading to Texas. And then, uh, Lord willing, I'm heading back home. And uh, well, luckily, people, that this, will, this won't come out until after you're safely back home. And so you know, we won't be worried about anybody with any row 32 attack. But <laughs> so, so, so one of the things that um, I think, I mean, people don't realize this, but you, you started writing this book two years ago. And so, you know, you've written a number of bestsellers. I think we're very optimistic that this will be the number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, we'll find out maybe in a little bit in a few hours. You know, I've written a book that was the number one bestseller in my mother's heart. And I, but but I think when you write a book, like the process takes so long that to to truly break news or to have stuff that's new is incredibly challenging because the incubation period from when the thing gets locked in to when the thing gets released is it's not like breaking news on a website or a newspaper. It's very different. Um, so what do you think is the the one or two things from the book that have been the most startling in terms of just the, the host reaction and what you're hearing from people? Uh, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right uh, as far as writing books. I mean, it's it's not like uh, uh, news or the newspaper where you can just immediately turn around and cover something. You have to try to anticipate what you think is going to be an important topic in the future. And that's what I always tell young writers. They'll come to me and say, I want to write a book on this. This is really hot now. And I'll say, you're missing the point. It's hot now. It's not going to be hot 18 months or two years from now. And you know, a lot of that is just luck or providence, however you want to see it. Um, and we've been very, very fortunate. And I think in this particular case, it's the convergence of a number of things. There's a lot of questions being asked about the Biden administration, not just by people who are conservatives and who didn't vote him and support him. I think there's a lot of people in general, independents who voted for him, that are seeing a lot of behaviors and decisions that are being made that raise a lot of troubling questions. But I think in in general, uh, people understand and see and are suspicious of what the Beijing regime has been doing. Uh, COVID, the fact that at a minimum they covered it up, at a maximum they may have been responsible for releasing this, either by accident or by intention. Uh, so that all kind of converged, I think, to uh, make the, the interest in the book so high. The most startling things that that I see in reactions from the people that I've done interviews with are first, the material on the Bidens. Uh, people have understood about the Biden deals. We broke that back in 2018, the fact that the Bidens were doing deals with China. But the fact that we have traced back to see who actually opened the door for them, or as my kids would say, who made it rain for them in China. Um, it all traces back to people linked to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. And that, that shocks a lot of people. The other thing that shocks a lot of people are the Silicon Valley titans and how cozy they are with Beijing, how they do things to help their military, but also how they make excuses for them or even praise this repressive regime. People find that shocking as well. 
no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And we talked in the last episode about the the relationships between Silicon Valley and the fact that Mark Zuckerberg's got a book on his desk of President Xi's sayings, and he said he bought it so that his staff at Facebook could learn the better parts of uh, socialism with Chinese communist principles, and he offered President Xi the chance to give his kid his, the Chinese name. And I mean, that's it's all wild stuff that you've got in there. But I think even kind of like bigger picture, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. But we referenced the Cold War, right? We referenced the fact that it would be insane to think of anybody doing business with Russia, let alone the son of the vice president or the people at the higher highest ends of American society. You you would never think that that would have happened in uh, the 80s when we were involved in the Cold War. But even in a bigger way, the fact that we don't see the fact that we're in a war with China, I think, speaks to just how differently and how controlled the narrative is. And he's like, okay, well, how come we don't see the fact that we're in a competition with China? And then I think that's really maybe the biggest question your book answers. Well, when you consider the fact that you've got business relationships with the son of the vice president, now the son of the president, when you've got business relationships with the people that run Silicon Valley, when you've got business relationships with the people that run Wall Street, I mean, at every level of the people that make and dictate the terms of American culture and society, they're all in business with China. And so, of course, we're not going to see China as a competitor. I mean, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, part of the reason you're not going to get as much scrutiny on Capitol Hill as you might think of the Biden's business dealings is you have leading Republicans who have their own deals with China. And they don't want to draw attention to this or you know raise questions about what these relationships mean. I think the other thing, though, is that Beijing's really shrewd and sophisticated about how they do this. Uh, and I think a lot of people misunderstand this. They, they think that if somebody is, uh, you know, in, has ties with Beijing or is doing their bidding in some way that they have this sort of robotic approach where they make excuses for everything. They never criticize them. Beijing's far more sophisticated than that. The approach that they take uh, translated from Chinese is, is called a big help with a little bad mouth. And what that basically means is if you are helping them on the things that matter the most to them, uh, they don't care if you pop off about the Uyghurs from time to time or if you criticize them for human rights. That's the little bad mouth. They're concerned about the big help. And what the big help for them is, is access to Western technology and access to Western capital. And if you allow that to continue unfettered, even in a way that benefits their military, if you as a policymaker do that in Washington, they are fine with you being critical or, you know, in the case of Joe Biden, you know, this sort of absurd diplomatic protest of the Olympics. They don't care. And that speaks to the level of sophistication in their understanding of how important it is for people who are uh, doing their bidding or helping them to maintain political credibility. They have to seem credible, and one of the ways they can seem credible is by criticizing Beijing on minor things from time to time. Now, you mentioned that you don't think much will come of it in Washington, D.C., because there are Republicans that have business deals in China. I'd like to ask you about that in just a moment. But first, it should be pointed out that at least one Republican member of the United States Congress is actually calling for some level of investigation. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn has said that Attorney General Garland should investigate. Now, that's her saying that he should investigate is not the same thing as saying we're going to hold hearings in Congress to the point. And uh, maybe sadly, one of the reasons why we won't hold hearings is because, as you noted, um, some Republicans might be leveraged 
in their own right. What Which Republicans are you referring to? Uh, yeah, primarily Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican leader in the Senate. His family has longtime ties to Beijing. Uh, the Chow family, he's married to Elaine Chow, who was the transportation secretary in the Trump administration. Uh, the Chow family has a shipping business, and that shipping business has thrived thanks to the good fortunes provided by uh, the Chinese government. And that means that, you know, these big bulker ships that they sail around the world to uh, transport goods, their ships are built in China by Chinese state-owned shipbuilding company. The financing of the construction of those ships is financed by the Chinese government. That's hundreds of millions of dollars in, in loans that they're being given on very favorable terms. Uh, the McConnell Chow family uh, has their ships uh, outfitted with Chinese crews that are provided by the Chinese government. And many of the actual products that they are shipping around the Pacific come from Chinese state-owned enterprises. So they They've got leverage over Mitch McConnell, and if Mitch McConnell were to do something that really upset them, uh, the Chinese government could literally destroy their business overnight. Um, and that is the kind of leverage that Beijing likes to have. I do think it's going to be interesting when uh, the November elections roll around. Uh, Republicans are scheduled to take the House and the Senate. I do think we will see hearings uh, in both bodies. But the question is, is how far are Republicans prepared to go precisely because you've got Mitch McConnell and you've got the Bush family and others that uh, have had power in the Republican Party in the past that have a similar sort of problem? Yeah, I want to make a point about, I think, how significant what you just said is. But first, just because you've also mentioned another famous Republican name, the Bushes, what do people need to know about the Bushes and their relationships with the Chinese government? Uh, well, it goes back decades. Uh, it started when George H.W. Bush was president. His, his brother Prescott uh, went to China after Tiananmen Square and signed up a bunch of big deals with Chinese uh, government entities. When George W. Bush became president in 2001, uh, his now then uncle Prescott Bush went over and signed additional deals. But then a new generation got involved. Neil Bush, uh, brother to George George W. Bush uh, started signing up deals as well. He got a $1 million a year contract with a Chinese computer company. Uh, no evidence that Neil Bush has background in computers. That computer company, by the way, was founded by the son of the Chinese premier. I mean, so talk no about big deal. Ta- yeah, talk about uh, co- collusion there at some they're, level. They're like, hey, do you do you have famous, powerful uh, relatives? Me too. Yeah, no, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Let's go into business together. Uh, and you know, so today Neil Bush is basically a complete apologist for the Chinese government. He goes on Chinese state television and talks about how Americans misunderstand the human rights situation in Hong Kong. He makes all kinds of excuses. Uh, His organization, the the sort of Bush Center for the Study of U.S.-Chinese Relations, is funded by these Chinese government-linked entities. He's on these Chinese corporate boards. I mean, he's completely bought into the Chinese model. Uh, And that's the way China likes to do it. They love it if they can get some multi-generational let's say, family values uh, going. Uh, they're, they're, they're big on that. I think that actually would be a really fun uh, standard for, like, are you a sellout to the Chinese Communist Party? And I think the basic standard is, have you taken Chinese business money and then gone on Chinese television and said positive things about the Chinese? Yeah, the guys, the U.S., let me tell you, we don't get it, okay? You guys, paragon of uh, civil rights and 
profound societal values over here. By the way, as a quick aside, is Neil your favorite lesser Bush brother? Because I've always been a Marvin guy, but you like but you like Neil better. I, I think. think Marvin's the sleeper, right? There's less known about Marvin. <laughs> Although I think Marvin's had. Uh, uh, at least from what I've been able to understand, a pretty good uh, career in finance, kind of yeah. separated from politics. But Neil has always been the one uh, that, you know, seems to have been running a race against his brothers, Jeb and George W., who are more successful. So he goes off on these tangents. And China is the latest ones. And I would encourage people, you know, go on Google. You can look at what Neil Bush is saying on China State Television. Uh, and it's really quite amazing. Uh, you have to look at it and say, this guy is either completely delusional, he doesn't understand what democracy and freedom is, or uh, he's completely uh, been bought and paid for. And I'll let, let or, people decide once they watch the videos which one it is. Or at least his definitions of uh, freedom and democracy have been rented by the Chinese government <laughs> right, for some time. Right, right. <laughs> yes, your vocabulary can be um, you know, rentable. So right. uh, what, what, just as a quick aside, one of the things I hate about this conversation about the Bushes is it's yet again a topic that you've literally written a book on because you did write a book on the Bushes. So you know, we just keep veering into areas of your expertise, Mr. Schweitzer. So, but, but one thing that you hear a lot from the people that consume GAS content, they consume your books, is they say, man, you did a wonderful job of exposing the Clintons. You did a wonderful job of exposing Hunter Biden's relationships with the Chinese government, but then they get mad, right? And they say, well, okay, but so what? How come nobody ever gets arrested? How come we never see any actual legal action? And I think the thing that you said about Mitch McConnell, the most powerful Republican in the country right now, the fact that he too has a relationship with the Chinese government and the son of the president has a relationship with the Chinese government. I mean, those are literally two of the most important people in the United States political system, correct? And they both have business deals with the Chinese government. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So we're not super optimistic that a lot's going to change. <laughs> right, exactly. And I have to say, I mean, people will say this to me sometimes. Oh, you expose all this and it's terrible, but nothing happened. And, and I have to say, Eric, it kind of pisses me off, right? Because yeah. we're exposing hey, something. This is a family-friendly podcast, right? <laughs> it really. <laughs> this is not you hanging out with Tim Pool. It, <laughs> it really ticks me off. How's that? Is that better? Uh, yeah, because I mean, look, our job is to alert people to what's out there, and we expose stuff all the time that nobody knows about. Uh, Clinton corruption, people had hints about it. We were the first ones to really expose systematically how they were doing it overseas. Uh, same thing with the Bidens. Nobody knew the Bidens were doing deals in China and these places around the world. We were the first ones to expose it. So I like to think our role uh, as we're kind of the Paul Revere, right? We're supposed to tell everybody the British is coming. now. If we roll through a town and say the British are coming and people are throwing rocks at us, hey, it's not our fault. We've done our job. I have enough confidence, though, that if we keep alerting people to the fact that the British are coming, that the corruption is over there and we can prove it, that eventually enough people are going to rally. It's going to be like the Continental Army and is going to stand up and do the right thing. And I do think there are people in Washington prepared to do that. There's not a lot of them. But let's hope that in November of 2022, we elect people who have that mindset, uh, don't care the fact that this powerful guy named Mitch McConnell on our side uh, is maybe doing the same thing and says, you know what, we're going to put all the cards on the table and let things fall as they should fall. When I think you have to ask the question, okay, how bad would the fact pattern have to be right. 
for people to decide this actually matters and we're willing to take some stand. And because we haven't said it on this podcast, and I've heard you say it in the other media interviews, but when we're talking about the, the business relationship, not just with Hunter Biden, but with members of the Biden family, in, in your previous books, you talked about the Biden five. Like, it's crazy how Joe Biden's political career has become the center of his family economy for his brothers and his sister and his you know niece and his son. And the thing that you're reporting in this book that's like the number one big picture, 5,000-foot headline is that at least $31 million, this is a conservative estimate, at least $31 million has made its way through business deals with the Chinese government to the Biden family. But it's not just deals with the Chinese government. It's actually a, a bit more nefarious than that. Yeah, it's it involves individuals with links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. Um, and, you know, to me... Uh, once, like spies, yeah, like the military. Exactly. Like so, exactly. Right. And and so, you know, to give just a couple of examples, one of the deals that Hunter got, his involvement with this private equity firm uh, called BHR, he gets put on the board, he gets a stake in the management company, worth him, worth to him some $20 million. Uh, one of the guys that who makes that happen is a guy named Che Feng. Uh, who is Che Feng? When he's making it rain for Hunter Biden with this deal, at the same time, he is business partners with the vice minister for state security. This is the guy that is the vice minister of the spy apparatus of China. They're equivalent of the KGB, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, all rolled into one. Uh, and by the way, this vice minister is responsible for foreign intelligence recruitment. So these are the sort of people that are making deals happen. Uh, so pause. Like for, foreign intelligence recruitment, a.k.a. currying favors and cultivating relationships with powerful or potentially influential people in foreign governments and, and trying to convert them as assets. Yeah, yeah, right? to, ser to serve the Chinese state interest. And so right. I look at this and I'm like, why is this not a story that is setting off alarm bells around the country? I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Cold War. Uh, I, you know, imagine Jimmy Carter's family or Ronald Reagan's family doing deals with Russian businessmen linked to the KGB. I mean, Washington, D.C. would shut down if that sort of thing happened. That's what's happening right now with the Biden family. There's another deal that he gets uh, that involves a businessman named Mr. Zhao. Mr. Zhao's business partner at the time is the family of the former minister of state security. This is the guy that runs the entire spy apparatus of China. And that's what I think is so troubling, Eric, in every single case that a door is open for the Bidens for a commercial transaction in China that we've been able to find, every single one of them leads to an individual with links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. That is an alarming, alarming development. And you have to ask yourself, to people who you know try to explain it away or say, what would it take? What would it right. actually take for you to say, this is a problem, it needs to be investigated, it's a threat to our country? What would it take? Because I don't know what else is left. No, that's a great point. And I think ultimately that's why at least some people like Senator Blackburn and others are, are raising the question, raising the issues. And while people like Mitch McConnell may have some concerns and they have their own relationships there, I think at the end of the day, you just have to sort of let the facts speak for themselves. And I just get back to... Like we're two years into a pandemic. Uh, we're two years into, for many people, having lost loved ones or at least lost the ability to see loved ones. I mean, the fundamental social contract, as we just discussed previously, has been altered where we now have 
become conditioned to see each other as threats to our physical well-being as opposed to important and essential members of the community that are meant to enhance our lives as opposed to endanger them. Like American life has changed. And as you noted, the fact that it's changed has come from a virus that originated from the country of China. But no one faults them. It's like not okay to be like, wait a minute, how, how come this has happened? So the fact that we even can't ask those questions, the fact that we don't see China as a threat speaks to just how effective their soft power takeover of American society has been, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is a catastrophe for the United States. I mean, more than a million or close to a million Americans have died from the coronavirus. You think about the disruption, the stress that it's caused on children, uh, the strains that is caused on the economy, the disruptions. And you don't see anything in the House of Representatives, for example. They have not held a single hearing a single hearing on the origins of this virus. I mean, just basic curiosity. You would want to know what can we discover about what China knew, how China was responsible. Best case scenario is they were horribly negligent in alerting the world that this virus had, had uh, been discovered in China. Worst case scenario is they're responsible for releasing it, uh, either through accident or whatever, uh, but no interest in that. And then you look at the House of Representatives where the reports are that Nancy Pelosi has refused to allow a hearing to be held on that subject. And then you realize that Nancy Pelosi's family has these financial ties in mainland China. And then you go to the uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, same thing with the Biden administration. They did this ridiculous kind of quick investigation where they asked the intelligence agencies whether they thought there was something to the lab leak theory. Uh, many of them, like the FBI, came back and said, we think it's 50-50, could be lab leak, could be natural. That's it. They're done. They, they have nothing else to say on the matter. The Biden administration pretends it doesn't happen. And then Joe Biden goes on uh, and has conversations with President Xi. He's asked at a press conference, did you raise this issue with him? Oh, yes, I raised it. But they won't release the transcripts. And members of the White House staff who were present don't remember it coming up. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy that a million Americans have died and official Washington doesn't seem to want to know how it really ultimately happened, where the origins of this are. Nancy Pelosi's family's got business deals in China. Dianne Feinstein's family's got business deals in China. Joe Biden's family has got business deals in China. The Senate Republican majority leaders got business deals in China. So I guess you'd have to ask the question, if they were trying to take over, like what else would need to happen, right? Like what what other what piece do they not have in place yet to be like no 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 United States still act independently. The one thing that we know they can't control, Peter Schweitzer, is the audience and their desire to hear about and learn about these things, and that's why uh, your book is a monster. I mean, people don't realize, but we will. I'm sure we will soon have numbers to put to it. But the reaction and the reception to this, just based on everything we're hearing from the people that can't get your book at a bookstore because they're sold out, or the publisher and the numbers they're seeing, the fact that it was number one on Amazon for a week, it's insane. And uh, I'm so happy for you and I'm so proud of you because as much as we give you a hard time, the fact that you are going to begrudgingly get on a commercial flight later today uh, <laughs> does speak to you. you. You carry yourself with a humility and um, I think a servant's heart. And I think you really do think of, I mean, not just because he's got some like colonial revolutionary kind of like uh, flight of fancy. No, but he really does think this is a significant issue that will impact and has impacted every aspect of American society. And Peter Schweitzer is just out there trying to inform everybody about it. So the book's excellent. We couldn't recommend it better. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And um, hey, man, fly safe and 
Have a good time with Glenn Beck this week, okay? Thanks a lot, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks, audience, for joining us. If you're interested in getting a copy of my new book, Red Handed, you can find it at thedrilldown.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or find bookstores everywhere. Thank you for your interest, and thanks for joining us. 